Uh, today we um, partake on Easter Sunday communion. Communion is not a word that we throw around in our present day vocabulary. Uh, it's not something to hear around the water cooler. We don't use it very often. If a young man was to ask a young lady to go out and get a cup of coffee, he wouldn't ask her to go to Starbucks and so that they could have communion together. But that's the idea. Uh, we have words like communication. We understand what it means to have a sense of community, a sense of connectedness. And, and really, even though we don't use the word communion on a everyday basis, we do it. And how well we do it and how often we do it quantifies us for a quality of life. It qualifies us for a level of intimacy that really makes life quite satisfying or, or not. We were created by a God of community to connect. That's why we love to do it. A bit of warning, especially for the younger generation, losing that ability quite rapidly. And I don't need to, well, yeah, I, maybe I do need to identify the source of that. You have one in your purse or your pocket. You have one in the car. Karen and I were recently at a restaurant, and um, as this time of year goes, it was prom time, and young lady came in dressed very, very pretty, very nice dress, and a young gentleman was by her side, and you could see in her eyes the look of, am I pretty? Does my dress look good? Does he like how I look? Does he, is he enjoying himself? And I looked over at the young man, and there he was doing this. <laughs> I had everything uh, holding me back from walking over to that young man and saying, you know, she's only going to do this once or twice in her entire life. Put the phone down and talk to her. We're losing rapidly of the ability to look each other in the eye and carry on meaningful, deep conversations. I encourage you to work at that. I encourage you when you go into, you didn't come to Easter to hear all this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. When you go into a restaurant with your beloved or with a friend, put the phone away, look them in the eye. Get close enough where they can smell your breath and talk to them. <laughs> and talk deeply with them. Tell them about what's inside of you and seek to find out what's inside of them. We live in a society of marbles that scratch each other on the surface occasionally. And we ought to be a society and people of grapes that mash upon each other, blending it into a beautiful, beautiful wine. This is what God created us for. You know that. The satisfaction of our lives is the depth of our relationships one with another. And I speedily say a relationship with the God who created us. Without that, there is no ultimate meaning in life. Now, why are we like that? Why don't the cars satisfy us and the houses satisfy us ultimately? 
They buzz us for a day or two, and then it all gets cobwebs, doesn't it? Why is it the meaning of life is enriched with the depth of our relationship? Because we were created by a God who has spent all past eternity in communal relationship. You say, well, God is one. Who did he have to communicate with? We believe in a Trinitarian God. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, we are not polytheistic. We are monotheistic. We believe in one God. We don't believe in one God who has expressed himself in three different directions. We believe in one God, and we believe in three equal, coexistent, co-eternal gods that are one. What do you believe in one God or three gods? Yes. Because for all eternity, the one true God enjoyed the community of the three all together. And that's why we inwardly ache for more deeper and meaningful relationships than we have right now. Proverbs says that two can only walk together when they agree. That two can walk side by side in this communion when they agree. I wonder about that word agree because we are all different, having different opinions and different thought trains. I don't know if it means opinions and stances on things. I often think of a couple ladies I worked with years ago, Christy and uh, Julia. And as Julia and Christy were the best of friends, I mean, can, I mean they were joined at the hip. One was a bulldog, the other was a gator. One was a Democrat, liberal Democrat, the other was a conservative Republican. In every phase, they were completely opposite of every stance and yet joined at the hip. They shared something deeper than the outward opinions. They shared their hearts together. Two have to be agreed have to be joined together, open, loving, inviting in order to make that connection. Well, we have a problem then. Because God and man don't agree. Enter the drama. Enter the problem. We were born in a condition of sin. Now, what is sin? Before your mind goes to the list, the list is just an expression of the deepest thing. Sin, well, let's look at it from a passage in Isaiah chapter 53. As the early church met together, Isaiah 53, they didn't have the New Testament yet. As the early church in the first several years of their existence, looked at Old Testament passages when they preached the gospel. Isaiah 53 was no doubt one of their favorites. And so let's read through it on this Easter morning to see the dilemma and how God has solved and rescued us 
from the idea that we can't walk with God because we do not agree with God. Verse, 50, verse 1 of chapter 53, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah writes this. And really, this is from the voice of God himself. He asks the question, who has believed what he has heard from us? Interesting wording, isn't it? The King James says, who has believed our report? What we have to say. The ESV has it, what he has heard from us. Interesting. It almost sounds like there's three involved in verse 1. There's a report, there's, a, there's news, there's something from heaven that God wants all of humanity to know and know clearly. But he asked the question, who's listening? Who's listening what the Holy Spirit says from heaven about what God says about our condition? If you want to look, if you want to bind all the news of all the world, do you know it's all fake news? It's all fake. It's not real, none of it. It's all temporary, plastic, paper mache. This is the only real news there is. What God from heaven communicates to mankind. When we fell in sin in the Garden of Eden, God did not leave this planet and us alone. He has news for us. His question is who's listening? Verse 2, and to whom is the arm of the Lord, the power of the Lord, notice, revealed? Two different facets. Who's listening? And when I'm listening, it requires that God reveals something to us. What I'm about to tell you, you can't figure out with your mind. What I'm about to tell you, It must be revealed by the Holy Spirit of God to your soul. It's here, but it's really here. When the Lord opens a man or woman or child's heart, that's a work of God, not man. The message that God wants you to hear from the real news has to be to the open heart that the Lord opens. My hope today as you're listening if you don't know Christ as your Savior, that first of all, God would show you, you don't know Him. He has to show that to you. And when He's shown that to you, you have a choice to listen beyond that. Notice, for He grew up before Him. Christ grew up before the Father like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and even notice him. Christ had no glow about him. He was a carpenter growing up in the backwater town of Nazareth. No crowds flocked to him. Easily overlooked, just like today. Easily overlooked, just like today. Just like in our culture. Just like in our world, the world goes on worrying about its stuff. Christ is easily overlooked. 
but to the few that the Holy Spirit opens the heart and they see him. And then all the real news that you saw becomes fake to you and you know the real deal going on. And then the crazy guy in North Korea doesn't worry you anymore. Yeah. Notice there's no form or majesty that we should look at him. There is no beauty that we should be desire him. It's not, it was not attractive. If you were in the first century and Jesus walked by you, you wouldn't even know it. He looked like any other man in the crowd. When he had to get away from a crowd, he just slipped in because he looked like everybody else. He looked like you and he looked like me. Did you catch that? He looked like you and me. He came as one of us. Notice it goes on. He was despised and rejected by men. He is despised and he is today rejected by men. This is the essence of sin. We'll get down to the core definition, but the expression of it is that he is despised, he is rejected. Heard of a, a recent sports figure who was being interviewed, an NBA basketball player, and they asked him about a situation on the team. He said, you know what, I'm just trusting the Lord. I just trust the Lord. Immediately they went to commercial. I want to hear nothing like that. I remember years ago after the 9-11 deal that went on, old Terry Bradshaw on ESPN, <laughs> old Terry said, I'll tell you what the answer is. I'll tell you what the answer is. And he reaches under the counter, some of you remember, pulls a 10-pound King James Bible out and sets it up on the counter to commercial. <laughs> Despised. Rejected goes on, it says, he was a man of sorrows. What sorrows did he have? He was God. He had my sorrows. He had yours. Are you, are you, are you, are you beginning to hear the news from heaven? He yeah. took upon our, notice, he was acquainted with grief. We reject grief. We run from grief. We fight grief when it comes to our lives. He embraced it. He became acquainted with it. And I ask you again, what grief did he take on? Mine and yours. Now in the midst of that, notice. And as one from whom men hid their faces. They looked away. We look away. He was despised, and we, I'll just say it in today's vernacular, we devalued him. We, de we esteemed him not. Verse 4 is when the light comes on. Surely he has borne our griefs. It's the great transference. It's the great moment when you realize 
He has been devalued in my life, in my eyes, from day one. I have gone about my life doing what I wanted to, building my kingdom, creating my world, going my way. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. The great sin, in the words of Chambers, is white-fisted rebellion against Almighty God in reference of doing what I want. The very God who created us in love to have communion and connection, we walked away from, every one of us. Everything else from there is the expression of sin, not the root of it. We devalued him, but not until you realize that he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet, look at the little word yet, in the midst of him dying for us as sinners, we kept going. We didn't turn back immediately. We continued to devalue the one who died for us. It gave everything as God to redeem us back to communion with him. We still esteemed him. Well, what did we esteem him? Stricken. Three things. Smitten by God and afflicted. Smitten has the idea of circumstances went against him. Sure, he taught some beautiful things and all of his son Rome came down on him. The circumstances of life turned against him and he was just stricken when he died on the cross. Human circumstances went against him. Notice he was smitten by God. God himself was involved in crucifying his son. And we esteem that he must have not perhaps been the son of God because look what the father did to him. And then afflicted with the hands of men. Verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Notice. I'll never forget at the age 19, a young sailor, when I realized that he died for me. I might have heard that a thousand times as a young person. I remember going to a Baptist camp up in upstate New York. Hearing the gospel, hearing the gospel, and it went right in one ear and out the other. It went through my mind, and I thought, well, what a wonderful Savior to do something like that. What a wonderful Jesus. But it wasn't until the Holy Spirit opened my heart to show me he died for me. I never, I have never, that was almost 40 years ago. I have not recovered that moment since. No preacher can preach you into that moment when you realize he died for you. It takes the Holy Spirit and takes your open heart. But when you hear it and you know it, you realize this thing isn't about a church. This isn't about a building. This isn't about an Easter Sunday. This isn't about a coming, you know, occasionally to a church. This is about Jesus Christ. This is about what he did for you. This is about all eternity. This is about the moment you die and you wake up either in heaven or hell. This is about Christ and God and the Spirit 
who want to have communion with you and enrich your life in ways you have no idea and to make every relationship around you richer and deeper and more meaningful because he transforms your life. He takes you out of the realm of sin and places you on solid rock on the realm of holiness. Let's get back to the original argument and then we'll be done. Are you listening very carefully? How can two agree? How can two walk together unless they agree? You can't walk with God because we are sinful. God doesn't lower his standards to come down and walk with you. The good news is he offers to raise you up to his standard. To make you holy. The living out of that holiness is an expression of the position of holiness that he offers you. To put the robe and the crown. To kill the fatted calf. To take you back and me back to him. Therein is an expression of the love of God. And he died for you. All we like sheep have gone astray. But the good news is, through what he did on the cross, he offers you eternal life. Go ahead. You got the PowerPoint? All right, go ahead, Kenneth. Three things real quick. He turned life. We turned life into death. You know that? God wasn't to blame for the Garden of Eden. He gave us life. And out of that life, we, through a series of hopeful obedience, would turn our natural lives into the spiritual life. But we took the life that he gave us. We turned it into death, spiritual death. Number two, Kenneth, death is separation. It just is. Sin is, is death, and death separates us from God. We are born separated from God. No amount of effort can bring you back to him. He has provided everything. Number three, he destroyed death in order to give us life. Notice, notice, give us life. Not earned. Not when you get your life together. Not when you live to a certain level, you know, and then all of a sudden now you can get saved. Right now, you can get saved by simply receiving the gift of what he did on that cross for your salvation. I'm going to ask the men to come now and get ready and prepare for our communion together. Who can partake in communion? Those who are saved. Uh, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I almost said don't partake of communion, but it's better to say get saved. You know, you can get saved where you sit right now. Do you know that? You don't have to walk an aisle. Nothing wrong with walking an aisle, but you don't have to do that. We had a dear lady, a member of our church, get saved right back in that area there during one communion. They were passing out the communion, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God says, you're not saved. You don't really know me. You're the one that put Christ on the cross. And she just broke down in tears and got saved right at that moment. It's a calling out to the Lord to save you. How long does it take to call out? How long does it take to call out when you're going down in the ocean for Christ to grab your hand? Pretty quick. 
pretty quick. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, we ask you to let the plate pass by you. Um, if you partake of communion, it doesn't affect you, um, but better to get saved. Um, I give you a warning that's in 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you're here today and you know Christ and you're born again, and there's animosity in your heart toward the church that you're attending this morning or any kind of rebellious spirit, any kind of selfish kind of motivation to cause harm or hurt within this fellowship, don't partake of the elements. It's a serious thing. Paul says, some of you are sick, Corinthians. Some of you have even died because you partook of the communion in an unworthy way. So I encourage you, if you're in that particular spirit, let the plate pass by you. We don't give you a time to examine your heart, to make confession of sin, because we believe in this place that if you're born again, you are 100% perfectly righteous all the time. If there's sin within your life or my life, I don't believe you have to ask the Lord to show you. I think he, he shows you before you ask. He's a little quicker at showing us than we want to be shown. So we encourage you to partake of the Lord's Supper knowing that you're righteous before the Lord, that you're pure before the Lord, that his blood has washed away all your sins. Now one more word of encouragement before we pass out the elements and read the scripture. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He did not say, do this in remembrance of what I have done. We partake of the communion not looking back 2,000 years. We partake of this communion, the bread and the wine, in order to recognize Him right now in this place, in your heart, in remembrance of Him and His presence and life inside of you. Yes, it's a looking back at the broken body and the poured out blood. Yes. But it's what brought us to this moment where we know Christ. And we do it in remembrance of the reality of His presence right now.